This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Hey friends, welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. Each episode, I sit down with a guest to discuss their life journey and how the grace of God has impacted them along the way. After listening to today's episode, I hope you are encouraged that God can use you right now in the midst of your day-to-day life. Yes, it requires daily surrender and trust, but we must remember His grace is enough. Do you have a friend or family member who is parenting a child with special needs? How about parenting adopted children? Or maybe both? Today's guest, Natalie Maxwell, shares her journey with both. Natalie's first child was diagnosed with a heart condition in utero. Through the experience, God opened her eyes and the eyes of her husband to children in need of forever homes. Her first son's diagnosis broke down walls of fear, which led to the adoption of three children with special needs. Not only do I think you will be fascinated with Natalie's journey into and through parenting, I think you will be encouraged, grow in empathy, and be stretched as a follower of Christ. Good morning, Natalie. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me for this episode of the Grace Enough podcast. Good morning, Amber. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I mean, this has been actually a requested episode to just talk to somebody about disability and special needs and adoption and that whole process as a family. And so before we really dig into that, go ahead and introduce yourself to our listeners along with your family and a little bit about what you do. Okay, well, I am Natalie Maxwell. Um, I live in North Dakota with my husband, Ryan, and our five kids, um, ages 12, 8, 7, 7, and 4. So we have two seven-year-olds right now, but pretty soon one of them will have a birthday, so then it'll be a little easier to do the stepping stones. That's right. And then do you stay home with them all of the time and write from home, or what does that look like on a daily basis? I do. I'm a stay-at-home mom full-time. I write for Focus on the Family. Um, I try to get a blog posted weekly on my personal blog, um, and then I do speaking engagements occasionally. So we got a lot going on, but I feel like God gives you um, the strength that you need when you're telling his story. So Mm -hmm. just kind of take it one day at a time. That's right. Well, and typically I start a lot of my episodes by having people share a little bit of their faith journey, but so much of that is entwined in your story of family, and there's so much to cover there that we're just going to jump back in going back to when you were pregnant with your first child. And so share with our listeners really what it was like when you found out that your first child, you know, in utero had this congenital heart defect. Yeah, so receiving a prenatal diagnosis is something that um, I don't think anybody wants to go through. I know for me, leaving that hospital that day, I really felt like my life is never going to be the same. Mm -hmm. Um, Up until then, I'd lived a pretty normal life. I'd always been healthy. My husband was healthy. We came from, you know, healthy families. And so I really thought there's no way anything can be wrong with my baby. And I think a lot of people can relate with that feeling of just shock and you feel like your world has just crumbled. 
And I don't think anything can really prepare you for that. Right. But I can look back now and see some signs of how God was preparing my heart and preparing our family for that journey. At the time, I was 22. I was still very newly married. I think we'd been married for like seven months at the time that we got that diagnosis. So there was kind of an added level of stress on us as just young, newly married couple. But we did have our faith. And I remember that first night after me and my husband had just cried together and just prayed and begged God to heal our baby, just knowing that whatever happened, we were going to give God glory through it, that Mm -hmm. we wanted our child's life to tell God's story, Mm -hmm. no matter what that um, may be. But then walking that out was extremely difficult. I think my pregnancy was probably one of the most difficult times in my faith walk. I would have days where I felt so blessed to have this child and we just knew that God was working in his life and using his story to just encourage so many people. And um, and then other days where I would see another pregnant woman and mm-hmm. I would feel just jealousy and anger and um, just so many emotions during my pregnancy. Wow. How far along were you when they gave you the diagnosis? So it was the day after my 20-week ultrasound. So we went in for our 20-week ultrasound. Um, We're so excited to find out that we were having a boy. And then the doctor just kind of mentioned that they had some concerns with how it looked like the blood was flowing through his heart. And she was going to make an appointment for a fetal echocardiogram, which I had Mm. no idea what that was, (laughs) the next day. Um, And so we were just so elated with excitement and joy of expecting our child that we really weren't fearful. We thought like, there's no way anything can be wrong. And so the next day was when we got that diagnosis. And so at that time, did they actually say to you, this is what it is, and this is what you can expect? They did. So I actually went to the appointment by myself because, again, I thought, oh, this is going to be nothing. I don't want my husband to have to take off work. It'll just be an easy appointment and they'll find out everything is fine and we'll just go on with life. Mm -hmm. Um, But it wasn't too long into the, it's basically an ultrasound, but they take images of the baby's heart and blood flow. And it wasn't too long into that that I knew, okay, something's wrong. It was the silence or the whispering or whatever. And I just remember clinging to God in that moment and just, and even still the emotion. I feel like sometimes Mm -hmm. we have these defining moments in our life that continue to shape us. And that was really one for me. But just clinging to God because feeling so unsure of everything. And then after the procedure was over, I sat up and the cardiologist told me that Landon had pulmonary artresia. And that just means that his pulmonary valve was actually completely closed. Um, He was fine in the womb. I would have a normal pregnancy and everything. But after he was born, he would need open heart surgery within the first couple days of his life in order um, to survive. So kind of knew what was coming. We did. Yes. Um, I knew that he was going to be born six hours away. I was going to have to live in a different city the weeks before he was born so that we knew he'd be near a hospital that would be able to 
care for him. And so we went into that appointment having a plan of what, you know, our future was going to look like. We were going to have this baby and we have this doctor. And then everything was kind of ripped into the unknown. And I didn't know who was going to deliver my baby. And I didn't know if I was going to be able to hold him after he was born. And I didn't know if he would make it through the labor and delivery. Just so many unknowns. And I think that was the hardest part of the pregnancy. Well, and so after Landon was born, what, I mean, what did transpire? I always explain my story and I know some people will be like, oh, well, that's crazy. But after Landon was born, for me personally, things became much easier. And I think part of that is because we had surrendered his life to God. But I remember after he was born and like those first few seconds before I heard his cry, but then hearing his cry and knowing he's here and it was like my love for him overshadowed all of these fears that we had. And we just were so overjoyed to have him. And when we looked at him, we didn't see a diagnosis or a heart that had something wrong with it. We just saw our son. Mm -hmm. And I think that love of a parent is really what gave us the courage and the strength that we needed to be for him during those times. So he did have open heart surgery when he was three days old, and then another one when he was one week old, and then he had his third one when he was nine months. And so how is he now? Because he is your, wait, how old is he? He's seven. Okay. So we always say he's our firstborn middle child. Right. Well, because, and we'll get into that part of the story with the adoption for sure. But so he's seven and functions pretty much as a normal child now. He does. Yes, absolutely. After his last surgery, when he was nine months old, he's really just had yearly monitoring and everything looks great. He may need another procedure when he's um, around 10 to 13, but for now, just monitoring. Really, part of this experience, obviously, along with a lot of other things going on in your life, you all were led to adopt three children who have special needs, disabilities, people use different terms to quantify that. But I mean, I had written to you in my questions, like, I know I'm asking you to condense your life into just these few sentences. So we we don't have to do that per se. But tell us a little bit about the kids you've adopted and kind of the process that led to your heart just really softening towards that. Yeah. Well, I think our journey with Landon is really what that God was planting seeds and changing us all along the way for what he had in store for our family. But it was really after Lannon was born and our um, experience just in the hospital, the families that we met, just the miracles that we saw, God opened our eyes to how relentlessly short life is Mm. and that it is more precious than we ever realized. And Both me and my husband knew, like, we're never going to be the same after this. We had a new perspective on life. We knew that, you know, it didn't matter where our children went to school or what clothes they wore or what sports they played. We realized what really matters in life, and that's connection Mm. and just cherishing life for what it is as the gift that it is. And so we realized that all we can take with us into eternity are the lives that we touch. And so that's really the heart of what God 
led for us to adopt. That's kind of the filter that we based every decision after having landed through of, is this going to matter for eternity? Wow. Can we love with the love of Christ through this? So that was really the foundation that God used to shift our hearts and our perspectives so that we were open, I think, to his call to adopt children with special needs. But even still, it definitely was something we wrestled with because we knew the pain that was on that road and the unknowns, but we had also seen such beauty and experienced God's presence in a way that we had never before. And so we were all in with God. And so we said, you know, Lord, like we will go wherever you want us to go. We will adopt whatever child you um, lead us to. But we thought that would be like years in the future once Landon had kind of had all of his surgeries and was doing really well, but that wasn't God's plan for us. <laughs> That's right. I mean, how obviously you now have, you said your oldest was 12. Is that right? Yes. Okay. And then, you know, you've kind of got some stair steps below that. So are all of your adopted children, are they siblings? They are not. I always say, well, no, they are, but they are not biological siblings at all. So when Landon was nine months old, so it was right before his last surgery, and this was after months of God kind of just continuing to break our hearts for the reality of children with special needs and disabilities in Eastern European countries and just kind of that idea of if Landon was born in another country, what his life would look like Mm -hmm. just because of a diagnosis and not being able to get the care that he needed. And that was just something that God continued to bring up. And so we started reading adoption blogs and there was one night where we clicked on a link that led to a orphan advocacy website for um, children with special needs. And on there, we saw a picture of a little boy. He was, had just turned six, had a long list of disabilities on his profile that we knew nothing about, but we just knew he was our son. It's very hard to explain. I know lots of people who have walked the adoption road will say something very similar Right. Something just clicks in you. Yes. And just like how God had placed Landon in my womb, even though, you know, he had this diagnosis, we really felt like God had placed this child in our hearts. And we knew that he was six in a country where when there are around five or six children with disabilities get transferred to adult mental institutions. where most of them don't live past a couple years there. And so we felt a sense of urgency that if this is our son and God wants him in our family, then we need need to go for him. It felt crazy, (laughs) as crazy as it sounds. And I'm sure our families thought that we were crazy. But we just knew that if this was what God had for our family, then he would make a way. And so we started taking steps of faith. And so before Landon's third surgery, we committed to adopting Yvonne and we just um, began the process. And nine months later, he was home. Wow. 
That's incredible because that is very rare when it comes to adoption, particularly overseas, for them to be placed and put in your home so quickly. Yes. And I think with most countries, um, when you are adopting a child with um, a disability, it can be a faster process. But especially Ukraine is kind of the process is a little different where it's not quite as much paperwork stateside, but you're in country for quite a long time. Like I was there for a couple months kind of working on our adoption and finishing up the process. And so is Landon with you in Ukraine the whole time? He was not. So my husband made a couple trips back and forth, but I stayed the whole time. He was wow. with our, our parents who are wow. so amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's just such an incredible experience. You know, when you look back, I'm sure yeah. and think only, you know, I mean, only God can orchestrate. Yes. I mean, I look back at pictures and I'm like, we were so young. We were so crazy. <laughs> but I think... God sometimes uses our naiveness absolutely <laughs> for his plan. Absolutely. Um, because I think because of everything we had just gone through with Landon that we we weren't tied to the worries of this life as mm-hmm. much. We were willing to to sacrifice for what we felt was going to matter the most. Wow. Well, so then what about the other three? Or I'm sorry, the other two, right? Yes. We've adopted two others. Okay. I'm even getting myself confused at this point. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's right. You have four children total, three of which you've adopted. So what about the other two children? So we have five children total, three adopted, and then two biological. And the last three (laughs) entered our family in kind of a crazy way. So when Yvonne... He was coming up on being home for one year, um, and it was a whirlwind. I mean, we adopted a little boy, and he was six, but developmentally he was like an infant. He had spent six years just laying in a crib. Um, Any kind of stimulation was just too much for him because he'd never had it. And so our life was full of challenges, but at the same time, God showed up in such big ways and gave us such a love for this little boy. And um, just seeing him blossom and transform was incredible. But he was coming up on being home for a year, and we knew that if we were going to adopt again, it was our home study was going to expire soon, and we didn't know, like, should we update it? But God made it very clear that there was another child out there for us. And so we kind of just again with our adoptions, we're like, okay, Lord, like if this is your will, then you need to make a way because it's completely impossible from where Mm -hmm. we're standing. And so there was this little boy and he was four and I had been advocating for him for probably a few years then just for someone else to see him and adopt him. He was almost exactly one year older than Landon, and he also had a heart defect. And he was in the same country that Yvonne was from. And there was just one day where I just knew, like, I kept asking, like, somebody see this boy, please, Lord, let his mom, like, see him and go for him. And God was like, it's you. It's you. (laughs) Yeah. We knew that we 
wanted to adopt again, but it was not going to be that soon. And if we went back, we really wanted a girl. So it was like, Lord, like, (laughs) really? (laughs) But again, we, I think when your worst nightmare happens Mm. and you realize that it was actually one of your greatest blessings, Mm. you start to question your fears. And, um, that's powerful. So although it wasn't really in our plan and we didn't really see how it was going to work out, we knew that, Lord, like if this is you, then we're going to step out of the boat and trust that you will allow us to walk on water. And I think sometimes whether it's in an adoption or just anything where we need to test God on what he's calling us to do, I think it's so important to take those steps of Mm. faith. And that's really how we did both of our adoptions. I mean, we didn't have the money. Um, Our second adoption, we didn't even have a place to live that we could bring another child, let alone two, which is what we ended up doing into. At that time, we were in a two-bedroom apartment on the third story with no elevator and we had a six-year-old who couldn't walk and wasn't in a wheelchair at the time. So you can imagine how challenging our life was. And so we just kind of said, Lord, like, you know, you know our circumstances. So if you're calling us to do this, then we know that you have to have a plan. And so uh, we kind of tested him on that and said, you know, if this is what you have for us, then you need to get us into a house and we need to be able to update our home study and At that point, I think we had two months to get all of these things done in order for us to start the adoption process and for it to go a lot faster. And boom, 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 like God just opened doors. I remember emailing our social social worker and telling her, you know, we want an appointment for a home study because we want to do another adoption. But we actually don't know what home we're going to be in yet. (laughs) And just telling her, like, we're... We're trusting God on this. Can you just like keep an opening and try to um, come around this time for a home study? And God just came through. Wow. So we've just seen so many miracles. And I believe that's just testament to how God fights for his children, how he truly is a father to the fatherless. And if his body steps up and says, we'll be your hands and feet, we'll be your words to them. He gives you the strength and he gives you the words and he gives you the love that you need. Well, and I, as I'm listening to you, what really, really does stand out and convicts me is just taking the next step. Yes. And how I will just make every excuse possible, even if it's not consciously to not take that step at times out of fear. Yeah. I think sometimes when it comes to like people think, oh, well, God called you to that. (sighs) And that is, that is so true. But I think God wants to call us to so many things, but he also wants us to partner with him in those things. Right. It's not always the loud trumpet call that we are waiting for. And he's like, actually, I have confirmed and affirmed you to do this. And now I'm just waiting on you to take the step and trust me. Exactly. Oh, yep. That's like a dagger in my soul. <laughs> in a good way. In a good way. Like, and yes. And you know, it's a journey that you continue to walk. Like, it's oh, yeah. not something that I've figured out. It's something that, you know, 
it's a day-to-day process of picking up your cross. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that's something else, like as I'm, you know, listening to you, I know some people will say, oh, I mean, you know, God's equipped her for that. And, And like you said, I agree that that's true. But at the same time, we are so quick to make excuses of why someone else does something and we don't. Yes, exactly. And I'm speaking to myself here. <laughs> One of my favorite verses, it's Acts 4.13, where it says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, mm. they were astonished and they took note that they had been with Jesus. Oh, and that's yeah. like my life verse because I feel like sometimes people look at our story and they just think, oh, well. I can't measure up like obviously like you're in a different league or they see any parent of a child with disability and they think, oh, well, you know, God knew that they could handle that. And I think, no, <laughs> like he picked us because we can't and we know that and we're willing to just run to him for our strength and having Landon and going through our journey with him really made us realize what it means to be desperate on the Lord, to feel so helpless, but at the same time, know that God is in control. Yeah. Well, and I want to hear a little bit more about how did you end up with adopting two more instead of one? Yes. Well, so we committed to adopting that little boy. um, But in my heart of hearts, I still just, I longed for a girl because at this point we had two boys and we were going to adopt another one. And so it's actually very ironic because when God first, when we felt like he was leading us to adopt children with special needs, I remember thinking, Lord, like, I think we can handle anything except Down syndrome. And I don't know why I thought that because I'd never even like been around someone with Down syndrome. Right. It was just complete like prejudice and ignorance that I said that. But then through our first adoption process and meeting so many families that were adopting these amazing children with this extra chromosome, by the end of our adoption, that was a longing on my heart that I had. Mm. Our, I said, our next adoption, I want to adopt a little girl with Down syndrome. And so God led us to this little boy and we committed to him. And then on this same advocacy website, there was this little girl who had Down syndrome and she had been waiting for quite a while. And I just told my husband, I was like, I think we should just inquire. And like if she was in the same region as this little boy that we're going to adopt, like maybe that's God telling us that we should adopt her too. And so he agreed and we inquired And she was in the same orphanage. Oh, wow. So we were like, okay, Lord. So again, we were just like, we will take this extra step. And, you know, if it's not God's will, just believing he would close the doors because we'd seen that in our first adoption, we'd actually committed to two children. Um, In Ukrainian adoptions, it's not that much harder to bring home another child, which is crazy. But we always kind of had the mentality that if we can get one more child out of that situation, and if we're approved for another child, then like we have to try. I mean, I just love to hear you talk about how you're, I mean, was your husband just like gleefully on board the whole time? No. (laughs) I mean, it's just so interesting because 
I mean, I understand how people at times can look at you and be like, oh, God's equipped you and put you on a pedestal because it really is incredible. But like you said, it's all because of God's equipping and God's continual provision for you that you're able to do this. Yes. And I think in most adoptions, usually the husband is more reluctant because they're usually more logical and, oh, how's this going to work? And so it was no different for us. Ryan had to have his own encounters with God and confirmations for us both to be on the same page. But those those happened. Um, I know our first adoption when he was really like, oh, like, is this really what we're supposed to do? Um, He just happened to be going away for a weekend um, with the worship team of our church that he he plays guitar on. And he just had an encounter with God. And he just and I had been praying because I had felt like, oh, this is what God wants us to do. And then he came home and said, this is what God wants us to do. And I think that's a very important point, because I think for a lot of us as mothers, when we feel led to adopt, it's very hard to not want your husband to have that same passion and that same longing. And sometimes you're just not on the same timing. And it's so important to just wait and pray for God to lead, to lead them in the way that they need and to break their heart in the way that he needs to. And that is not something we can do. That's right. That's right. And I mean, God's timing is just oftentimes so different than ours, whether that be fast or slow, right? Yes, yes. (laughs) Okay. And so you bring these two kids home, but you have another child than you had biologically. Yes. So our story. um, I know. I'm like, just keep telling me, girl. (laughs) Just when you think it can't get any crazier. So (laughs) in our second adoption, because we had two children at home, we made three trips back and forth over a summer. And so our second trip, we went over and we had court. And so our adoption was finalized and these were our kids. And then there was just a small wait period before we could bring them home. So during that, I think it's a 10 day wait period, we flew home and I just, I wasn't feeling good. I just wasn't (laughs) feeling like myself. I'm like, I am really jet lagged. And turns out I was pregnant. (laughs) <laughs> so, girl, you know out. what causes that? No, I'm joking. <laughs> but we found out the same week that we finalized our adoption in Ukraine that we were wow. expecting a baby. And so I tell people it was like we got three children in a one week oh my time. Goodness. And it, was, it was crazy. And I will say, I believe that children are a blessing, but both of our pregnancies, they were not planned. They were a big surprise and um with Vienna the baby of our family finding out that we were pregnant with her was very difficult Mm. because we felt like God had asked so much of us and here he was asking more and yes we we know that children are a blessing but I think sometimes it's okay to recognize that there are hardships absolutely, and, um, especially knowing kind of how hard that first year is when bringing children home. And it was very, very difficult. Our son, Gresham, he was four when we brought him home. He had a very hard time with attachment. And really, he was a four-year-old, but he was independent and um, he didn't need anyone or anything. And he just had a very 
hard time adjusting to life in a family and believing that we really loved him. And so I was so worried about bringing another baby into our family and how he would react to her. But God always knows best. I tell people it's crazy, but after having her, it was like our life became easier. I think it was very healing for him to see how we loved this baby, something that he'd never seen in the orphanage and something that he'd never experienced. And so to this day, they have a very special bond. And I just think, you know, God's plan is just so much bigger than ours. And when we think he is just being like so mean and giving us so much, like he he knows what he's doing. And again, it's just walking by faith, not by sight. Mm-hmm. Well, and that realization at times when you can just feel so covered, uh, so burdened, mm-hmm. so worn out, it seems like, at least in my limited experience with, like you said, I mean, I've led a pretty, what I would consider <clears throat> non-traumatic life, you know, with all the things. But at the same time, there have been times where I'm like, you know, Lord, this just shows the humanity. Yeah. And I really can't do any of this. Like, I I just can't. I mean, I'm a train wreck without you. Mm -hmm. I can be a train wreck with you because I act out of my flesh so much. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that surrendering and realization that we are just train wrecks without him is very humbling. Yes, that's so true. I tell people all of the time because I have a lot of moms come up to me and they're like, I don't know how you do it. I just have one child or whatever it may be. And I always tell them, you know, with motherhood and really with anything, we're always stretched to our limit. Whether you have one child or whether you have 20, that's how God wants it to be. That's how he grows us. And it's how we cooperate with him in that journey. Because we all have unique journeys that we're walking with the Lord. And I always say, you know, we can't, we can't compare. Don't compare my life to yours because we're both being stretched Stretched. to our limit. And I always think, you know, Satan uses those things to keep us divided Mm -hmm. where people see our family and they think, oh, well, her life is so hard. Like she can't relate to mine. And I just think that saying that we use um, in the disability community for our children, when we talk about inclusion, it says, we're more alike than different. Mm -hmm. We say that for our kids, but we often don't believe it for ourselves. And Mm. so I just want to be that voice in the disability community and just in the motherhood community of motherhood is hard. Whether you have a child with a disability or not, whether you have one child or 20, like it's such a hard journey and we need each other. I know exactly what you're talking about. I've had people even, oh, you know, they'll say, well, you know, you have three and I only have one. And I'm like, you know, God gives us the grace we need for what we have right yes. now. Yep. I remember just having one. <laughs> I mean, right. But like, you don't yeah. know how much, you don't know how much crazier it can get. <laughs> so, yes. so it is hard to only have one. Yes, it is. It's like, trust me. I know. I remember those days of thinking mm-hmm. in some ways having one was harder than having three. Yep. And I think it's important for us to not forget that. Because I do think sometimes we can look at others and judge their journey and think, well, oh, like if they think that's hard, well. You're right. And God has convicted me on that because I think that is something that 
mothers of children with special needs that Satan tries to use that to divide us, that our life is harder. And we do have unique struggles. I can't deny that. Right. But God has just shown me that there is so much beauty to be found when you're not comparing your journey to someone else's Mm -hmm. and instead you come alongside of them and find that middle ground, that unity that you can have in Christ. Yeah. So I did want to ask about, did you say his name was Rashawn? Yvonne. Yvonne. No, wait, that's your oldest one, right? Yes. Yep. Okay. And then, and then there's Gresham. He's four. Gresham is who I was thinking about. Did he have reactive attachment disorder? Like, did you all end up having to go through therapies and things for that? So we kind of were beginning to look at like, could there be something like that going on? Um, But then after I had Vienna, things just got so much better. I Mm. mean, it was it really was miraculous. It was like, God had told us, if you trust me in this, like you will, you will see my plan play out. And he really has just transformed and grown so much. And now we have an amazing relationship. But He does have, and I think this is so true of most kids who are adopted, you can come so far and then something can happen that Mm -hmm. triggers that trauma and Mm -hmm. you're facing those old demons again and you think, oh, we're back to square one. So it has been a journey, but man, God has showed us so much through loving him and just what God's relentless love looks like when mm. we push him away, but he never stops loving us. He never stops pursuing us, right? Pursuing us. Yes. Yeah. I mean, goodness, I could talk for forever. I can't believe we're already so far along, but I do want to talk about, you know, this idea that one of the hardest things about adoption, it seems like I have not adopted, but is adjusting your ideas and expectations. Yeah. You know, for example, the early expectation that love can heal every wound, mm-hmm. the expectation that you can expect the same behavior out of your adopted child that you can expect out of your biological child. And that same thing can be said for consequences. Mm-hmm. You know, the list does go on and on. And so do you find that to be true? And if so, like what Do you have any advice for a family who is like trying to make those adjustments in their life? Um, I have definitely found that to be true. I wish I had some advice that would like apply to every family, but I think every family is so unique. And this is what I've found because I feel like in pretty much every struggle I have in parenting, I try to see, well, how does God parent us? Mm. And what I found is God does not parent all of his children the same way. This goes back to what we said about us all walking our unique journeys. And sometimes we can both do the same thing, but receive different consequences. And sometimes, you know, it looks like, oh, well, God's not fair. And a lot of times my kids will think, oh, well, mommy (laughs) and daddy aren't fair. Like Gresham does this and he just gets a talk and I do this and I get this long time out or whatever it is. And we have just found that relying on God's wisdom Mm. because he knows our kids and he knows 
what they need to go through and he knows when they need love and grace and when they need discipline and direction. And that is going to be different for every child, whether they have a disability or whether they've been adopted or not. How we parent each of our kids, I think it needs to be different because each of our children are different. I think there's an added level when you have adopted kids because they they just have no concept of love. It's so dysfunctional. All three of our kids that we adopted came home with self-harming behaviors, even our two and a half year old daughter, because that is what they found to be comforting because no one showed them anything else. And I think, oh, that is us with the Lord. So often we run to these things that harm us, but we seek them for comfort instead of running to him. And that is adoption. You bring these kids into your home and they have no idea of love because no one's ever shown them. And so I know with having, so our biological son Landon and our adopted son Gresham, they're almost exactly a year apart, but they're both in the same grade. And so, you know, they're experiencing lots of the same things, have some of the same friends. So sometimes it's very hard to not compare how we parent them yeah. differently, especially for Landon, because he's our biological and, you know, it's just been a journey of getting him to see kind of why Gresham does what he does and getting him to like planting those seeds of empathy and Mm -hmm. compassion. That is what we wanted out of our adoption when people would say, oh, why are, why are you doing that? Like Landon, Landon needs your attention. And why would you bring another child who's going to have all of these needs? And the way we looked at it was Landon knows he's loved. Like even when he has these surgeries, we're there by his bedside. There are children that don't have anyone there. And so I think that's the difference, that Landon has had that love and that protection from the moment he was born. And so getting him to, um, you know, it just goes into wanting our children to see the world through God's eyes and their hearts to break for the things that break the heart of God and planting those seeds of empathy and compassion in our home. Mm. Well, and I think that as I've learned a little bit more about like reactive attachment disorder, mm-hmm. I, I would just encourage anybody listening to read and learn about that yes. because as you interact more and more with children who have been adopted, whether special needs or not, it like you said, it gives you a sense of empathy towards them and it gives you more of an understanding of actually that kid who's running around completely wild and unengaged. It's not because they're bad kids. Yes. It's because for them, it is a coping mechanism of who's going to leave me next. Mm -hmm. I cannot let myself get too close or another, you know, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but another type of reactive attachment disorder is as soon as you show me any attention, I'm going to cling to you and just be all over you because I'm just so desperate Mm -hmm. for that love and affection and how actually it's better 
for you not to be completely touchy and clingy with them unless you are the adoptive parent. Yes. And so really just, I'm putting this out there because I feel like I learned a lot. My sister-in-law and brother-in-law adopted um, my niece, Prema, from India, and Mm -hmm. she had lived on the streets, you know, her whole life. And so that process for them, some people would view it as, you know, you're, you're being so like mean to us because you don't want us to like touch her and stuff. But it was more of, no, we need her to get securely attached to us first. Yes. So that she knows we aren't going anywhere. Mm -hmm. And all of these other people, they're not your parents. Yes. And so I could go on and on about that, but it's just such valuable information, particularly if if you're serving in a church where there is a large adoption community, there's so many things. It really is. And it's such a, it's one of those things where if you're not exposed to it, you really don't understand it. So you do need to seek out resources and learn. I mean, if you are connected with anyone who has adopted, I would say that's something that in order to love them well, Mm -hmm. you should really learn more about. Yeah. Just educate Mm -hmm. yourself for sure. Yes. Well, something that I do want to jump into is just the idea of social isolation. There's a couple of questions we haven't really got to hit on, but I want to talk about social isolation because I feel like I know people personally who just this is a big struggle for them. They maybe they only have one child that has a disability and it feels so lonely. Yes. You know, there's just so many layers to it, but And it's prevalent in young moms in general. But as you have children with a disability, it's a whole nother layer. Will you just speak to that a little bit and kind of how, you know, how have you dealt with that? Very imperfectly. (laughs) (laughs) I do. I think it's a huge thing that, yes, like all moms struggle with. But I know in our life after having Landon, his immune system was compromised and so it was recommended that we really didn't take him out of our apartment except for to go see the doctor for three months. And so we were a part of a community that loved us so well, and our church made it possible that people would come and watch him and be with him so that me and my husband could go to church together every once in a while, which was such a blessing mm-hmm. and a testament to how the body can come alongside of of these families that really need the support and need the the respite. But it's a constant struggle. And after adopting our son, Yvonne, like I said, he he would get overstimulated so easily and it, it was painful for him. And so we really rarely took him out as well. And so there was just very long seasons of isolation that I feel like were unavoidable. But then I also feel like I've gone through seasons of isolation that were avoidable. Mm. I think when the enemy whispers those lies that you are alone and it's easy to just want to isolate and stay in your little bubble. And it is hard when, I mean, it's, it's hard to find places that you can go to where they are equipped to watch your child if they have a disability. There's that aspect. And so I think sometimes you just, you get really comfortable in the little world that you've created because it's Mm. normal to you. And then when you go outside and 
it's not normal to the rest of the world, Mm -hmm. it can be very isolating and very tempting to just kind of stay in your own little bubble. I would say after going through those seasons of isolation, it is so important to find people that you can connect with. It has been very good for me to find a good Christian counselor Mm -hmm. to talk about just whatever you need to talk about. I think part of being a special needs parent is it's kind of this lifelong grieving process sometimes where um, there's just so many little losses and little disappointments. And I believe that when we cast our cares on the Lord and when we surrender those things to Him, then we can find beauty in them. But sometimes those things, those hurts and those disappointments and those losses can build up and really create a lot of hurts that kind of present as this like hard outer shell. Mm. And it's very important to find people that you can trust that can kind of break through that. And we, we all need connection. Yeah. And I think that can be a very hard thing for special needs families to find. Well, yeah, because I have a dear friend who, you know, she is in a situation where she has a biological special needs child, actually with Down syndrome, mm-hmm. my friend Kristen, and then they've also adopted a child with Down syndrome as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's so hard to not compare the experiences, number one, because obviously the added layer of adoption, like we've already talked about, brings on its own set yes, of yes. challenges. Mm-hmm. And so often it's more like, okay, I have this set of friends over here who's adopted and they kind of understand what I'm going through. Yes. And I have this set of friends over here who have special needs children and they understand what I'm going through. But those two worlds so often just don't collide. And so it seems like yes. the friendship is even harder. Have you found that to be very true? I have definitely found that to be true. There have been times where I felt like I just don't really belong anywhere. anywhere. Like yeah. I kind of feel like I can't relate to kids that or to parent to moms that maybe haven't adopted or don't have a child with a disability. But then sometimes when I'm in the disability community because of things that God has shown us or brought us through or because we chose our children and, you know, sometimes people look at that as, well, you don't, you don't know what it's like because my experience was different. So sometimes, yeah, I felt like I don't really belong anywhere. And I think it's so important to find those support groups of people in the adoption community where you can ask those questions and you can feel like, oh, somebody gets it. And the same in the disability community. But I do think if you are only surrounding yourself with people in those groups that we're missing out on doing life with others, we're missing out on them getting a glimpse into the fact that we are more alike than different and having those friendships. Mm -hmm. And I do think that that's so important to model for our kids. If we want them to have healthy friendships with people that whose lives look different than theirs or whose abilities vary from theirs. And so um, I know that was convicting for me of how am I modeling healthy friendships and community 
for my children and am I making that a priority? And then I would say too, making your marriage a priority. I would say that's, you know, just... Yeah, because how do you do that? Yes, that's just so huge. Um, When you have a child who requires so much of you to not let your marriage become something that's so focused on that child because Mm -hmm. that feels like the right thing to do. And that was a conversation that we had early on in our marriage was that the biggest thing our kids need from us, number one, is for us to have a thriving relationship with the Lord where we're modeling what it looks like to love Jesus and to serve Him. And then number two, that our marriage is strong. And they don't understand that when they're kids. I mean, there's times where they're like, oh, mommy, don't go out with your friends tonight or don't go to Bible study or, oh, why do you and daddy have to go on a date night? Oh, yes, we get that. (laughs) Yes, but it's modeling that for them so that they're growing up seeing that, you know, we, we love you. And because we love you, we want you to know that you're safe in our love and we're going to make our marriage and make kind of that self-care, making sure that mm-hmm. I'm healthy, I'm getting filled with what I need so that I can then pour out on them. And I think community is such a big part of that. Well, and that's the thing too, as we get ready, you know, to close up with self-care. I mean, it's become this kind of like buzzword, but I've learned yeah. with self-care, it's like, we're not talking about just going out and having me time. It's more of what truly fills me up in order that I can pour back out. Exactly. Yes, it definitely has become a buzzword. And I think sometimes it can get a bad rap in the Christian community, Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes for good reason that I understand. But I think being a part of the adoption and the disability community has made me see it in a way of like, we need it in order to be healthy individuals. I mean, I've seen marriages fall apart. Oh, absolutely. Because the mom, you know, has kind of stopped taking care of herself, stopped feeding herself. And we can't pour out on anyone in the way that God wants us to if we're not spending time with him and really diving deeper into our relationship with him and who he made us to be. And it's not a selfish me focus, but it's that my identity is in Christ. It's not in my marriage. It's not in being a mother, although those are wonderful gifts that God's given me and they allow me a different lens in which I view God's love. But knowing that first and foremost, my identity is in Christ and I'm a child of God and I need to come to a better understanding of who he made me to be. And I think that's very hard to find if we're not taking that time to seek him in quiet and spend time doing some things that kind of fill our soul. Yeah, well, and that's, I mean, I think that's the key is that so many of us and for years, I would go for self care. I mean, I'm kind of using air quotes here, but I still wouldn't come home rested. And I started realizing it's because I was just going and doing things that really didn't fill me up. And so, you know, I learned for me. I won't just choose the quiet walk around the lake because that doesn't seem fun, but that actually is Mm -hmm. self-care for me because I'm rested. 
I yes. had filled up. So I started learning like you have to be intentional in choosing what self-care you're participating in. Exactly. It, which is just, it's a drastically different approach. You know, the idea being what actually fills me up and brings me joy, which, you know, for me, it's a run and it's not because that's easy or because I'm getting pampered. It's because I actually can clear my mind. Yes. And for me, it's the same, the same thing. So you almost have to sit down as a parent, special needs parent, adoptive parent, biological parent, whatever parent who's working like mad and then raising children. Yes. And say, what is it that I do upon completion where I actually feel that my soul is restored? Mm -hmm. And then that's what you need to like do. And I'm not, this is outside of, you know, spending time with Christ, um, which for me running, yep. I spend time with Jesus while I'm running. And it's like one of the best quiet times I have because I just, it really helps me connect with him. Yes. Like I don't think it's self-care versus Jesus. I yes. think when you're doing self-care right, mm -hmm. you're going to feel closer to Jesus. Yes. So true, girl. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, I could seriously talk to you for another 20 minutes about things, um, but, <laughs> and maybe that means we'll just have to have another episode where we dig a little bit deeper into some um, other topic or not other topics, but questions that could be answered on this topic. But I'm going to close out and just say thank you so much for sharing your story with us and your wise words. Thank you so much, Amber. It was my pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Resources, links, and quotes from today's conversation can be found at graceenoughpodcast.com under the show notes tab. If you are enjoying the show, I would like to ask you a few favors. Number one, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. You can head over to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and iHeartRadio. Clicking that subscribe button helps to make sure you never miss a new episode of the podcast. Number two, if you enjoy the show, would you take a moment to leave a review on iTunes? Those reviews help me to know how the show is impacting you. And number three, the best way to grow is for people like you to share it with your friends. Will you share your favorite Grace Enough podcast episode via text, email, or social media? Again, I'm so grateful for each one of you who listen week in and week out. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough podcast. Tune in next time. This episode was brought to you in part by the Truce Podcast. The new season examines the connection between some evangelicals and the Republican Party with the help of world-class historians. Subscribe to Truce in your podcast app or listen at trucepodcast.com.